0: listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. Hey, I don't do this often. If you're listening to true crime, you already know to brace yourself for some horrible things. But I just wanted to give you a heads up that this one has some really disturbing elements to it including some awful human beings. So just a heads up, okay? Tonight's case is one of those unique situations where it's possible for someone to be a known homicide victim with a killer identified and convicted and still be listed on national databases of missing persons. And that's why the story of eight-year-old Arthur Nosky, deserves to still be in the public consciousness. Because while we know what happened to him, we still don't know where he is. On February 8, 1977, police got a call from a frantic mother at Parma Town Mall in Parma, Ohio, a Cleveland suburb. Her name was Ann Nosky. The 32-year-old mom had been shopping with her eight-year-old son, Arthur. She said he'd asked if he could go play in a game room, and she allowed it. But when she went back to get him, he was gone. Police and volunteers launched an all-out search throughout the mall, looking through area woods and ravines, from the air. They brought out a search dog and had him sniff the boy's clothing, and the dog followed a scent through a department store then outside to a snowbank where a witness said she thought she had seen a boy playing there. But the scent was lost in the parking lot. A week later, Kaga County Sheriff detectives joined the hunt. But it was all a lie. Two weeks later, on February 18, Annoski finally came clean with a gruesome tale. The boy was dead. On February 4, Four days before she called police with her phony mall story, Arthur had been beaten to death by the fists of her raging boyfriend, Dr. Stuart Cutler. Cutler was a 30-year-old emergency room physician at Suburban Community Hospital in Warrensville Heights. Anne and Arthur had just moved into his Brexville home a week before Cutler killed her son. She said afterward, Cutler tried to burn her son's body in his fireplace and when that didn't work he took the charred corpse away. She didn't know where. The next day arrested Cutler and charged him with aggravated murder. He pleaded not guilty. By then the case was such a sensation a judge ruled Cutler couldn't get a fair hearing in Cleveland. They just couldn't find enough jurors who hadn't heard about the case, or most importantly, didn't have an opinion as to the doctor's guilt. So the case was transferred to Cincinnati. Cutler knew Cincinnati. He went to medical school there. He graduated from the University of Cincinnati in 1972. And he even made the newspapers there back then when he was preparing to marry his first wife, and he needed the city's permission to have the ceremony aboard a museum trolley car. But Cincinnati was as far as color could get from Cleveland without leaving the state. So the trial began there in August. And that's when the public learned the shocking details of what happened to little Arthur. Until January 29, 1977, Arthur had spent all eight years of his life living at the home of his grandma, Helen Nosky, on West 91st Street in Cleveland. Anne told her family Arthur's father was a Marine who may have died in the Vietnam War. Anne was a vet herself. She was born in Cleveland to Helen and Arthur Nosky, went through the Cleveland public school system, then joined the U.S. Navy in 1961. Her time in the military included a deployment to Vietnam. She collected a bachelor's and a master's in psychiatric nursing and ended up back in Cleveland working as an emergency room nurse in several local hospitals while also serving in the Naval Reserve. When our story takes place in 1977, Anne was working as a respiratory therapist at Woman's Hospital in Cleveland. She had been married and divorced twice by then. Since court testimony revealed Arthur had always lived at Grandma Helen's, I don't know if those husbands had lived there as well or if she had lived away from her son for a time. Anne, moving out of the home, was a shock to her mother. Helen said Anne showed up with her new boyfriend and just started packing up her and Arthur's belongings. Helen said It was like somebody pulled the rug from under my feet. I said, in God's name, what are you doing? She said they were just going for the weekend. Then they walked out of her home. It was the last time Grandma Helen ever laid eyes on the little boy she had helped raise. Anne said Arthur called Cutler, Uncle Stu, and she thought that they were getting close. But immediately after they moved into his Brecksville home, Cutler started physically abusing him. A couple of days after the move, on February 1, Cutler beat Arthur for not being able to name 13 sharks. The beating was so bad, Arthur couldn't eat for the next two days. On the third day, February 4, Anne waited till Cutler went to work, then defied his instructions that they not speak to her mother, Helen, on the phone. Before dialing her mother, Anne didn't want Arthur to say anything about the beating, so she paid him a nickel. When Cutler got home that evening, he saw Arthur playing with a nickel and asked about it. Arthur said, Mommy gave me a nickel to be happy when I talked to Grandma. According to testimony from Anne, Cutler then turned to her and said, I'm going to show you what's going to happen to your precious little boy and proceeded to beat him into unconsciousness. Cutler carried the boy to his bed, but when his mother checked on him later, she found him unresponsive. She and Cutler both tried mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, and Cutler even performed a tracheotomy, but it was too late. In a shocking detail, that came out at trial and testified that even after learning her son was dead, she and Cutler had sex that night. The next day, Cutler called his dad, William Cutler, a Beechwood pharmacist, and asked what he should do. His dad told him to burn the body. He said if he buried the body and someone found it, they would see the trach that he had performed and suspect a doctor was involved. So Cutler went to the store, purchased aluminum foil, then lined his fireplace while Anne left the room. Anne said in her court testimony, "I was in the living room for four hours while Stu tried to burn the body in the family room. He was having trouble keeping Arthur's head in the fire. After four hours, Cutler finally gave up and called Anne back into the family room. She said her son was balled up in a fetal position in the fireplace, charred black, his hair gone. She held the car door open while Cutler transferred the body, now wrapped in a blanket, to the front seat of his car. He drove away, then called her later to say, It's done. It's all over. It's done. Anne said she feared Cutler, but that she also loved him. She was carrying his baby at the time, a fetus she lost the next month at St. Luke's Hospital in Cleveland after which she was hospitalized for anxiety and depression for the next three months. She said her love for Cutler and her unborn baby was why she initially went along with his cover-up. I had lost my son, she said. There was nothing I could do to bring him back. Anne said Cutler told her to go to Parmatown and make up the story about Arthur disappearing. The guy who handled the search dog said the dog was clearly picking up Anne's scent that day, that he traced a path through a store and into the parking lot. Meanwhile, Cutler's father William came to the home and collected three plastic bags full of debris from the fireplace and some of Arthur's clothes, the clothes that Anne planned to tell police that Arthur disappeared in. Throughout the trial, Cutler maintained his innocence, saying Anne made it all up. He didn't kill Arthur, and he had no idea where the child was. He didn't take the stand, but the defense pressed the many ways in which Anne Nosky was an admitted liar. From lying about her son's disappearance, to questions about a welfare application, the lack of any evidence that Arthur's father was a Vietnam War casualty. They also challenged her contention that she feared for her life. They got Anne to admit that she once caught a former husband in bed with another woman and fired a 45 caliber pistol above the bed where they lay. But Ann Nosky was safe from prosecution. She was given immunity for testifying against her former lover. Jurors also heard from the custodian of the apartment building where Cutler's father, William, lived. It was a 48-unit complex in Bedford, and the custodian said back in early February, he was in the basement late one night when he found William Cutler putting three large bags into the building's incinerator. Nobody should have been using the incinerator and it was forbidden to use it for certain materials. So the custodian grabbed a hoe and was able to break open two bags to see clothes and a rubber boot. He said he was mad. It was forbidden to burn clothes and rubber in the incinerator, but the fire flared and consumed the third bag before he could open it. The prosecution decided not to put William Cutler on the stand. They were worried about what kind of tail he would spin for the jurors. The defense didn't put him up either. After the prosecution's case was ended, Stuart Cutler realized that even though there was no body and no physical evidence tying him to Arthur's death, the testimony had been pretty damning. He was offered a deal and he took it. He pleaded guilty to a reduced charge of voluntary manslaughter. And he didn't even get the max for that. He could have been given 25 years in jail and a $10,000 fine. He was given six to 25 years and a $7,500 fine, a fine that was later dismissed. William Cutler was found guilty of obstruction and put on probation. His fine was also dismissed incredibly it was not part of either of their plea deals to reveal what they had done with Arthur's body. And for that reason, to this day, Arthur may be a murder victim, but he's also an official missing person. Dr. Stuart Cutler did not finish his sentence. Just seven months after he was taken away to prison, he died of pneumonia. He was 31. Ann Nosky lived a long life. She died in March of 2019 in Laughlin, Nevada, where she was living with her husband. We know what happened to her after the trial because of her obituary. In 1985, she joined the Naval Sea Cadet Corps in Cleveland, where she met her next husband and added the last name, Kelly. They adopted a daughter and eventually moved to Tombstone, Arizona. She immersed herself in the history of Tombstone, conducting historic tours, performing in local plays, and even becoming an extra on some movies, including the ABC miniseries, The Legend of Wyatt Earp, Return to Tombstone. At her funeral service, the family requested attendees wear Old West costumes. She was cremated and her ashes spread on the Colorado River. The obituary also said, Anne Marie will always be most known and remembered as mom to every kid she knew in Tombstone and anywhere she traveled. And most of all, as a loving, devoted, dedicated, and caring wife and mother. The obituary didn't say a word about Arthur. That's it for our midweek 10 minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week and may all of your mysteries. Have happy endings.